As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at KillerQueensPodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. All right, you guys, we're back for part two. Here we are. This was actually a little faster than you were probably expecting us to be back, if you're not a patron. Because wildcard bitches, we release on Tuesdays now. I know. Wait, you did not. Yeah, exactly. Not too long. Well, anyway. exactly. I mean, there there were some couple days, days sure. sure. But anyway, yeah, here we are. The time is just the time it takes for you to post. Oh, mm. I love the Fratellis. I know they're so great. That's taking it way back to what two thousand six, eight. Yeah, oh, yeah, eight, maybe God. seven, eight. Yeah, jeez, oh. Pete's. World to say, y'all. It hurts my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So in the last episode, we left off on kind of a cliffhanger. Kind of a cliffhanger. And before we jump right back in, we do just want to remind you of the trigger warnings. We've got bombs, gore, murder, and death. Thank you again to Christian Loy for requesting this. And thank you again to Madison for writing it up. Yes. So do you want to just get into it? Well, I was just going to maybe just, you know, remind them that, um, well, a couple of things. This is a part two. So if you haven't listened to part one, you'll be lost AF. But that's your prerogative. Mm -hmm. So like, if you like to be lost, then great. But also, we do have a Patreon. Yes, we do. If you don't know much about it, you uh, might want to check it out. Patreon.com slash pod. Yep, that's the link. And um, we've got, gosh, just bukus and bukus over <laughs> probably at least 200 episodes. They're ready to download and binge just right this second. Bukus. I haven't heard that word in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was, I don't know. It just came to me. Wow. It just came out. I don't, I don't even know how. Huh. Yeah. Well, yeah. So we have tons of stuff over there, ad-free. And also, if you wanted to get in the conversation with us, we have True Crime Rewind on Spotify Green Room on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Central. Yes. So that's on the Spotify Green Room app or online at Spotify Green Room. You know, you can also hang with us on Instagram. We do a lot of fun stuff over there. So make sure you're following us there. Just posted a, a story being Joe Exotic. So, you know, you don't want to miss shit like that. <laughs> If you're looking for our older episodes, episodes one through 45, go to killerqueens.link slash OG and you'll get them delivered right to your little email. Love it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now. Now. So where we left off, it was December 10th, 1994. Thomas Mosser opens his package at his home in North Caldwell, New Jersey. And... The package exploded and the you mm-hmm. I have had so much trouble spelling and saying Unabomber. <laughs> She's been 
her phone has auto-corrected it to Uba Bomer. Uba Bomer, uh-huh. <laughs> then U- Uba Bomber mm-hmm. never has done Unabomber. Right. No. So now the technological difficulties have transferred to verbal difficulties. Yeah. Can't do it. But anyway, the package explodes and the Unabomber claimed its second victim. And Mosser's wife and child had just left the house. They barely escaped the blast. And the package mm. had been mailed from San Francisco, California, just a week earlier. That is just so infuriating. Like sending stuff, I mean, anywhere, but, you know, children could be killed too. Mm-hmm. It's just fucking horrible. And in the documentary that I watched, it was on YouTube. It's very dated and kind of, how should I put it? Boring. Oh, uh-huh. But it said in that documentary that, unfortunately, he had been decapitated by this blast. Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah, because now, I mean, he's adding so much stuff to it. He is ensuring oh, death yeah, at this point. Absolutely. Yeah. And it doesn't stop there, unfortunately. So on April 24th, 1995, the president of the California Forestry Association, Gilbert Murray, opened a package that had been sent to the association's office and addressed to the his predecessor, who was William Dennison. When he opened it, it exploded and it killed Murray. And it had been mailed four days earlier and Murray was the third and final murder victim. In April of 1995, another letter was sent to the New York Times taking credit for the murder of Mosser. The letter was verified as being from the Unabomber. He threatened to continue his murders unless major publications printed his manifesto. He said the full written document would be sent to them shortly. And in his letter, he called the FBI a joke. Ah, that seems dicey. Dicey move, man. Well, yeah, like uh, bold move, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm pretty sure they're like, caught you, bitch. Who's, the, like, who's laughing now? Here are a few people or entities or whatever that I will not fuck with. And that's the FBI and the IRS. Don't do mm-hmm. it. I will not. Yeah. Not trying to get arrested today. Mm-hmm. In June, he typed five copies of his manifesto on his typewriter. That is so much work. Instead of just using a fucking computer and making copies. Right. Like, but he Kinko's. won't do it. I know. Yeah. But I mean, he's got nothing but time. That's true. And Kinko's is evil. It, well. Because of technology. Among other things, sure. Yes. Yeah. He mailed it to multiple publications, including the Washington Post, the New York Times, and Penthouse. Penthouse is a very credible publication. And I understand why. Isn't that like a... Okay. Penthouse is a booby magazine. That's what I thought. I was like... (laughs) That was the joke. (laughs) I was like, what? But they do have... um, What? You can write in a letter there? Yeah. I'm sure there's like a space for... I don't know. Because don't they have like a joke section too? I know Playboy does. Oh, okay. From the episode of Friends. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) It's the extent of my knowledge. Okay. So they were not sure what they should do at this point because they're like, okay, do we publish this manifesto? And it was a long manifesto. Yeah. It's 18 pages front and back. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Like, you know, will publishing this, you know, basically encourage other people to like, you know, read it and be like, oh, well, you know, I kind of agree with them. You know, like, maybe we should get in on this. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, maybe somebody would read it and be like, hmm, I recognize, you know, some of these ideas or, you know, the writing or something like that. So they were really torn about what to do. And I would imagine that there was probably a lot of really heated arguments, Mm -hmm. you know, because this is a big deal. Like, do we perpetuate a terrorist Or if we don't publish this, do we prevent more death? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I would not want to be the one to make that decision, honestly, because, yeah, you don't want to do exactly what he wants, which is kind of interesting to me, too, though, because he wants his manifesto to be published, but he is entrusting it in the people that he hates the most. Like, he's using (laughs) the system that he hates. That's true. That's really true. Yeah. I just don't understand it, but it's like- A lot of it is very ironic. Right? You know, like just things that would have probably worked out easier for him had he used any amount of technology. 
Right. But he, ref- you know, yeah. it's just like, but that's evil. So whatever. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to touch that with know. a 10 foot pole. It's just, it's so stupid. But yeah, again, I would not want to be the one to be like, okay, here's my decision. Mm-hmm. I would not want to know. I read that the person to ultimately decide to publish it was Fitzy. Mm. Because he was a linguistic profiler. Mm-hmm. And so, or like a forensic linguist or whatever. And so he was like, somebody will recognize the document. Maybe, you know, the writing style, the idea, whatever. It's something that they've talked to somebody else about before, right? Because this is that important to them. Well, right. I mean, if somebody is, is, if somebody's writing a manifesto, it's not just an idea that they had in the, in a dream that they had one night, probably. Right. I mean, it's something that they've probably been harping on discussing. I don't know, preaching about for years. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a 35,000 word document and the Washington Pro, Pro, mm, the Washington Post ended up printing it. I just looked at how many words this, both parts of this script was, and it's like right at 7,000. So five times the length of this, and it was 11 pages, like without, you know, sources and links at the end. So, or 12. So that's 60 pages. Mm-hmm. That is so much. Oh my gosh. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. So it's been posted. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So on June 28, 1995, a letter was sent to the San Francisco Chronicle newspaper. In this letter, the Unabomber threatened that he might place a bomb on an airplane at LAX and blow up the plane within six days. Security was obviously heightened significantly, and for a period of time, flights were stopped. After 4th of July weekend passed with no bombs and no more threats, security was loosened and travel commenced as normal. Nobody knew what to think about this empty threat. The Unabomber continued to be unpredictable, which made it impossible for the FBI to predict where he might strike next. The task force was putting a lot of hope and confidence into the publication of the manifesto, hoping that someone might be able to lead them to the Unabomber before he killed someone else. As the FBI continued to exhaust their resources in hopes of finding the person behind the bombings, people across the country were reading the Unabomber's manifesto. I don't know that he actually used the word manifesto. It's just... That's what it was. That's what it is, yeah. Titled Industrial Society and Its Future, the very, and I cannot stress enough, very, very long document expressed the Unabomber's thoughts on the current society and technology's toxic effect on it. He basically stated that society's use of technology suppressed humans' ability to make decisions and function how they were meant to. He writes about the government, politics, environmental issues, and how there should be a revolution. Linda Patrick was living in Schenectady, New York at the time and had been reading the almost daily articles in the newspaper about the Unabomber. And she recognized his theories and interest his statement about how people should go back to the natural way of life without machines. And she had a weird feeling about the articles. I have After a trying question. I'm so sorry. Is a typewriter a machine? I say so. Yeah. Why aren't we yeah. handwriting this? Pen and paper. That's true. Yeah, typewriter Quill is not natural. and ink. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. I'm just saying. Yeah. I think he's uh, picky choosy, you know? I think so too. I think that he is a hypocritical SOB. Yeah, obviously there are some things he's like, well, what do you want me to write this whole fucking thing? <laughs> Eight copies? What? <laughs> or five copies, however many. Yeah. I can't believe he typed 
it five times. I know. That's dumb. Well, you know, every time he was like, yes. Yeah, probably it was getting him all riled up. Mm -hmm. Yuck. After trying to suppress this feeling, Linda decided that she had to speak up. So she approached her husband, David Kaczynski, and told him that something was wrong. And of course, David is like, "Ah." like, you know, when somebody's like, we need to talk, you're like, oh, fuck. Mm -hmm. But Linda was like, look, I feel like the descriptions of the Unabomber sound like your brother, Ted. And David said he remembered laughing with relief at finding out that this is what was bothering his wife because he's like, okay, there's no way Ted is the Unabomber. Like, so Linda had actually never met Ted. And she'd never talked to Ted, but he hated her. Of course he did. (laughs) Surprise! I know. Ted had written a scathing letter to David about how he shouldn't marry her, and she was turning him into something he wasn't. I feel like that's not true because the only person who has visibly, mentally, emotionally changed is Ted. Yeah, like who... Let's hold the two up. Who's thriving? Right. Who's living a productive life? Who like being a productive member of society? Yeah. And who was fired by his own brother? Yeah. Who's trying to murder everybody? Yeah. Uh-oh. That's you, Ted. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. He just, it's almost like he didn't, I mean, to me, it's almost like he didn't want anybody to, quote, take away his brother from him. But he also wasn't talking to David hardly at all anymore because he moved out in the middle of fucking nowhere and he refused to take part in any type of technology. Well, and I think that he was very upset with his brother for firing him. Yeah. You know, like there Which, there was this kind of grudge that yeah, resentment sure. was there. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, because David looked up to Ted his whole life. You know, it's his older brother. Mm-hmm. Like, he hung the moon, according to David. But then once he met Linda and they got really serious, it was like, you know, I have other places to... Well, he couldn't focus. focus. Yeah, he couldn't focus all of his admiration on just Ted. Exactly. And I think that Ted was like, but you were... No, this isn't I was your favorite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, even though I don't want to talk to you, I don't want you to talk to anybody else. Yeah. Oh, man. Haven't we all been there? Yeah, exactly. Everything Linda knew about Ted was through stories from David or from letters Ted has written to David. And as we know, they weren't very nice about Linda. So she's like, well, I don't fucking like you either then. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) Meanwhile, everyone in the United States and their mama was calling in tips to the FBI. They were being sent countless writing examples from people who thought that this person or that person was the Unabomber. You know, this was their manifesto. There was so much information to sift through. And most things got a quick glance and then were tossed aside if nothing stuck out. And you know, I mean, when something like this happens, there's always somebody sending in, like, you know, if they're looking for a man, then typically you're going to get a lot of women sending in their ex-husband or their ex-boyfriend or, you know, whatever. And like, just, you know, I worked with this guy and he was a dick. I'm going to turn, you know, put throw his name in the hat. Like, mm-hmm. People just do stuff like that all yeah, the no, time. Yeah, no, they do. I mean, look at how many times people have been like, I saw so-and-so. And it's like, no, you didn't. Mm-hmm. Or claim mm-hmm. to be them themselves. Missing yeah. persons, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. In mid-October, David had promised Linda that he'd go get a copy of the published manifesto. Linda was still adamant that she felt there might have been a connection between Ted and the writing. There were only six copies at their local newspaper shops, and all had been sold. The college library carried a copy, but it had also been checked out. Linda was like, hey, what about the, now, stick with me here, the internet. And David was like, what? And he actually called it newfangled technology. (laughs) What is the sorcery? Oh, my goodness. It's just like, oh, my gosh. But this is 1995. I mean, that's pretty early for for that newfangled technology shit they call the internet. 100%. I mean, we didn't get the internet at our house until I would say, what, 2000-ish? We had, I had a friend. 99. Yeah, probably around then. Yeah, I had a friend who had AOL. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you had to have the, like, the only internet we had for the longest time was the the free CDs we got in the mail. Mm -hmm. And you'd get like, what, 100 hours or something Something like that, yeah. I can't remember. Yeah, that's what we, that's the internet we had. I can remember it just like it was yesterday with the dial up and then it's like, you've got mail. I know. Oh, so exciting. Mm -hmm. 
so exciting. I'm like, <gasps> is it this boy that I'm super in love with? And it's like, no, it's a fucking spam. Yes, AOL Instant Messenger, and you hear the the door open. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, is it him? Is it him? Is it him? Is it him? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I still remember his screen name. <laughs> Creep. I know. Like, there's some stuff I can really remember. Mm-hmm. You were always really it, good at phone numbers, too. Yeah. It was B-Baller 24-7. Oh, stop. I mean, he doesn't have any more. So nobody will know, right? No, that's not what I mean. I can't believe that that's what it was. Oh. <laughs> Of course he yeah, doesn't right. have it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were like, you just freaking basically gave his social security no, number. I didn't, like, no, you didn't dox it him. It's like AOL Instant <laughs> Messenger. <laughs> yeah, I remember it. But speaking of, what is his first and last name? Oh, I yeah, I'll, I'll write that. In his mother's maiden name. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know. He would probably be like, first of all, not listening, but also like, <laughs> what the fuck, Torello? Why do you remember that? <laughs> right. It's like, yeah. Yeah, the fact that I used to write in my diary incessantly about certain boys and they're oh like, oh my God, I know. Do we know each other? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This guy's getting married this year though. Good for him. Good for him. So excited. She seems super sweet. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Let's get back to this newfangled technology. Absolutely. So the college library had internet access and David sat down to read the manifesto and Linda sat next to him. And she remembered watching his jaw drop as he read the first few lines. And after he finished it, David admitted that some parts did sound like Ted, but there's only like a one in 1,000 chance it's him. And Linda was like, Dave, one in 1,000 is something. Mm -hmm. Like, you know... That's a large, I guess, like, or it's like a small percentage, kind of. But when you factor in that, like, how many people are in the United States Mm -hmm. and you're saying one in a thousand, it's like, if you wrote a letter to me and I had to compare it to this manifesto, first of all, I would be like, Tori doesn't know these words. (laughs) But second of all, I mean, you know, it's like, it's of course, it's 100% not her. Yeah. It's not even, I wouldn't be like one one in 35 trillion chance yeah, that it's exactly. me, right? Yeah. So like, yeah, one in a thousand is kind of a big deal. Mm-hmm. So Linda was able to talk Dave into consulting a professional who could analyze the similarities between the manifesto and Ted's letters. Susan Swanson, a close friend of Linda's and a professional PI, felt that there was similar verbiage in the documents. And her next step was to try to connect the locations of the universities he attended with the locations of mailed or placed bombs. As they read through Ted's letters and the bombing timeline, Dave was hoping they'd find contradictions, but unfortunately, they didn't. And like, Dave was like, Linda, 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 Linda. Look at I love you. Look at Linda. (laughs) It's so funny. He's like, look, I love you. I think you're like super great. I love everything about you. But we're going to go on this journey, right? And we're going to go through all of this. And you're going to see that my brother is not the Unabomber. Yeah. You're going to see that you're a friggin' idiot for even thinking that it was my brother. You're totally wrong. And then the further into it they got, he was like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. It's actually lining up like more and more and more. Keep pulling the sweater. That's right. Ted was currently still living on a large plot of land in the isolated town of Lincoln, Montana, in a small cabin that he and his brother had built. And Dave knew that Ted would sometimes hitch a ride to Helena, then take a bus to the San Francisco Bay Area. I wonder if he had rice aroni. It's a San Francisco treat. Surely to God he did. <laughs> I know. I mean, when in Rome, I don't right? know, but 
Would he eat a boxed? He uses a typewriter. Come on. That's true. That's true. Their PI contacted the bus company who said that there was no way that someone could take a Greyhound bus from Helena to San Fran without going through and stopping in Salt Lake City. (gasps) All the pieces. Now we just connected him, yeah, like to a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Dave is torn. He doesn't want anybody else to get hurt, but he's like, oh my God, like if this is my brother and he's guilty, like he could get the death penalty. I mean, that's hard to do. Well, yeah, to resolve that in your mind and your heart to be like, wow. Yeah, yeah, to accept like, oh my gosh, okay, my brother did this. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, and somebody he had looked up to for so long, for sure. He did not want to have his own brother's blood on his hands. But Linda, on the other hand, she didn't give a shit. She's like a honey badger. She was like, yeah, exactly. She's like, we're turning his ass in. So Dave finally said that if they were able to stop the violence, they should. And he asked their PI to contact the FBI. Two to three weeks went by and Dave heard nothing. Unknown to him, the FBI was still combing through mountains of tips. And they'd got, you know, thousands and thousands. Like, it's yeah. just crazy. They're like, well, my neighbor has a pair of aviators, so I think we should look <laughs> yeah, into him. Exactly. And I saw that asshole put him on the other day. <laughs> Reading through Ted's letters, enough of the wording was similar that he was put on the suspect list. So 2,400 people had been designated as formal suspects, and Ted was number 2,416. So it was 2,417 total, and Ted was 2,416. Jeez. Darn. Soon after, Dave and Ted's mother got sick while in Chicago. Dave traveled to Illinois to be with her and went by himself to her home. Inside, he found that she'd saved a bunch of letters that Ted had written to her before he cut ties with his family. He also found a 23-page essay. This guy can fucking write. Yeah, he's got nothing but time to just write out essays and manifestos. He's got a lot of opinions. Mm -hmm. Reading through it, Dave recognized that the essay was the essence of the manifesto boiled down to 23, boiled down, Mm -hmm. let that sink in, Mm -hmm. to 23 pages. Without hesitation, Dave had their lawyer get in touch with the FBI and FBI agent Molly Flynn was in the Washington field office and received the paper that Dave had found. She called the San Francisco office and asked for someone on the task force. She reached Joel A. Moss, and Flynn said that she felt the essay was remarkably similar to the manifesto and wanted to make sure that someone from the task force read it before throwing it into a pile. Moss read the paper and concluded that the writer of the essay and the writer of the manifesto were the same fucking person. Oh my gosh. So the task force felt like this was their big break, and they thought that Ted Kaczynski was very likely the man who was behind the 16 bombings and three murders. Unfortunately, they didn't have any concrete evidence to arrest him. They had tied him to the manifesto based on the linguistics analysis, but they needed more. Their primary goal was to get inside of his cabin. Lots of FBI agents were dispatched to Lincoln, but they had to be careful not to alert him. The FBI consulted one of Ted's neighbors, who also lived in the wooded area. The neighbor, Butch. I love it. I do too, actually. I mean, we had a family friend named Butch, you know? I know. He was a nice guy. He was a great guy. Great mustache, too. I had a crush on him. Of course you did. He was cute, right? Yeah. For a dad. I mean, for somebody who was, like, way too old for me. Well, when you're little and you're, yeah, of course. I was like, I'm going to marry him one day. (laughs) (laughs) He was just a good man. He was. So the neighbor, Butch, was asked if he could record the terrain outside of Ted's cabin. Butch agreed and carried his video camera down by his hip and walked around the area. With the video recording, the FBI was able to have a clear vision of the area around Ted's cabin and prepare for apprehending him. They wanted to plan, prepare, and execute everything safely. But the news found out about their suspect. There was bound to be news cameras bombarding the area soon, so the FBI was forced to push their plan ahead. Okay, I know that like there's like freedom of speech and stuff like that, but like there are so many times that we have seen in cases where like okay, we don't we cannot tip the suspect off, right? Right. They don't need to know that we know that they're the person or that we're coming or whatever. And the news people are like, "Yeah, but I want to break the story. Like I want to be the first one to do it. What if somebody else does it first? Like And we have seen where people have fucking leaked stuff and then ruined an investigation or more people have died as a result of that. Like, Mm -hmm. there should be some kind of law. Yeah. And definite consequences Mm -hmm. for news media who impede an investigation, especially if it leads to further loss of life. Like, that just 
fucking pisses me off. Of course it does. It's 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 one hundred percent frustrating. Is not even a strong enough word. I don't know. It's Mm-mm. just yeah. It's awful. It's reprehensible. Oh, there you go. Wow. Yeah. I rue the day you were <laughs> bored. Exactly. Yes, exactly. So on April 3rd, 1996, three men headed down the hill towards Ted's secluded cabin. One called out, is anyone home? Ted looked out from his door and the men said that they were from the Nordic Drilling Company. Ted turned to put his shoes on, but before he could, one of the men grabbed him and pulled him out of the cabin, placing him in handcuffs. Ted looked absolutely insane. His hair was wild. His entire body was caked in dirt. His clothes were torn. I'm guessing he didn't find a stream nearby to freshen up before anybody got there. Yeah, I do wonder like how often he, like did he clean himself up really well before he, you know, because there were several times he would go and place bombs. Like, well, yeah. Or like even getting on the bus. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because that's really, like that's memorable. You know, if you see somebody on a bus who's like, you're like, I don't think you showered in like 11 years. Mm -hmm. People are going to notice that. Yeah, that's, and he's carrying a box and I don't know. I just wonder if he's like living in like the 1800s days where it's like in the summertime, you got a bath once a week. In the winter, you got one once a month. I honestly think he was. I'm like, sure he was. Yeah, he was going back to like primitive living. Right. Yeah. So he was apprehended without any problem. Neighbors of Ted watched as the FBI agents cheers and high-fived and they were relieved the suspect who was suspected as the Unabomber was in custody. On the news that evening, Dave watched as the newscaster showed a video of Ted walking flanked by police. The newscaster stated that the man had been arrested after he was fingered by relatives. I hate that. I hate it. I don't like fingered in by anybody. No! Why does it have to be fingered? Like, I get it's like you're pointing them out, but like there's an, like, turned in. Yeah. Don't, don't say fingered. Dude, it's, it's in a Sarah McLaughlin song, Adia. She says something about anyone, anyone else to finger, anyone else to blame, or something like that. And I'm like, I can't even sing it. <laughs> no, Sarah <laughs> McLaughlin. <laughs> oh man. So Dave and Linda were very upset by this. The FBI had promised them that they wouldn't reveal their names and that they'd notify them before they arrested him, but they did not because the mm-hmm. FBI does what they want to do and they don't care. Mm-hmm. They don't owe them anything. I'm trying to. Come at them? Not at all. I'm just saying, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying they themselves are honey badgers and they just do what they want. And that's their prerogative. And I support that. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm still turning your ass in because it feels like you're talking shit. Oh, no. I love the FBI. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, I'm making them cookies right now. I really am. Oh, I think they're done. (laughs) Um, No. smell delicious. Let's move on. Um, So... Not surprisingly, news crews flooded Dave and Linda's front yard and street, and Dave's Ugh. mother was at the house with them. They refused to speak to the press. Ted is now in custody. He refuses to be interviewed as well. Investigators were finally able to search through Ted's cabin. It was full of junk books and just more junk. It's like, oh, right. her house is covered in junk, and on the couch is junk, and underneath that, the couch is actually made of junk. Yeah. Yeah. Bunch of junk. Junk, junk, junk. Underneath his bed, one of the agents pulled out a cardboard box, and inside was a plastic bag. And inside of that plastic bag was a smaller box wrapped entirely in tinfoil. This is, I'm going to put that flea in a box. I'm going to put that box inside of another box. Goodness gracious. Mail that box to myself. (laughs) And when it arrives, I'll smash it with a hammer. So anyway, the agents. You had to do the full thing. (laughs) Well, you can't just do pieces. No. No. The agent said that suddenly a light bulb went off in all their heads and they quietly placed the box on the floor and they all backed out of the cabin. The bomb squad arrived and found that the tin foil box was indeed a bomb ready to go. I mean, (laughs) he literally made like all the bombs. Yeah, so it should not be surprising. (laughs) When we find a box and we don't know what's in it, what do we do? We open it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No. Okay. We back away. Okay. Unintended boxes are dangerous. Okay. All right. I I thought I had it, but okay. All right. Yeah. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So they believed that as soon as the weather cleared, Ted was planning to deliver it. And when Dave found out about this bomb, he felt relieved and thankful that they did what they did. Ted was transferred to Sacramento, where he would be held and tried after being charged with three counts of murder. They were thankful that they had stopped Ted from hurting anyone else, but his family still worried that he might get the death penalty. And it's understand an understandable fear. Yeah, for sure. Law enforcement, defense attorneys, and prosecutors began to dig into Ted's past. There was so much that his family, the FBI, and the public didn't understand about what he'd done and why. What they found, though, was that his personality and demeanor began to change at an early age. As a child, Dave had once asked his mother what was wrong with Ted. Ted didn't have any friends, and Dave didn't understand why people didn't like his brother, especially since Dave was so fond of him. I mean, he was literally like, he's the best thing. Like, Mm -hmm. what is the problem? His mother told him about something she feared had changed Ted when he was just a baby. His mother said that he was a happy baby, always moving and laughing. But at nine months old, he had gotten really sick. He had this rash all over his body, and his parents couldn't figure out what was wrong, so they brought him to the hospital. And he ended up being in the hospital for nine days. And the staff would only let his parents in twice a week for two hours. That's awful. For a nine-month-old baby. Just never getting to see their parents or being held or... Right. Yeah. After he was discharged and they brought him home, he had changed. He wasn't laughing. He didn't act like himself. He wouldn't make eye contact with them. It took several weeks for them to earn back his trust. And understandably so. And his mother told Dave not to ever abandon his brother. That that is what Ted feared the most. That's so sad. That is really sad. I mean, there's... Again, I mean, I know we say this kind of a lot now. You know, you don't feel sorry for the adult that he became, but you feel sorry for the child that he was. Yeah, what he had to endure at such a young age because no child deserves Mm -hmm. to have that happen to them. I know that his parents did what they had to do. But it's a terrible way to be treated as a nine-month-old. That's obviously scarred him for life. Well, and he was, let's see, he's born... When 1942. Yeah, so this is obviously, you know, it's not so things happening. are much different. Yeah. yeah. Then, but I mean, it just seems to me, of course, you know, I know a lot more, you know, now than we would have in the forties, but like that, a, especially a baby needs, needs affection. They need that, you know, bond with a human, like any child who doesn't receive, you know, touch, love, like all those things, they it's very detrimental to their psyche. Look at Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. I mean, it's really sad. Mm-hmm. Like, it is. The defense attorneys strongly believed that the experiment that Ted participated in while at Harvard greatly affected his behavior in his life. So we've already got, he no longer has really a bond with his family, mm-hmm. you know? And then we go forward and any chance he had to form bonds, I think this just wiped it the rest of the way out. Well, yeah. I mean, this and is he's just awful. Being tormented and ridiculed by his peers mm-hmm. and by his teachers. Yeah. For th- what, three years intermittently mm-hmm. or for regularly? That yeah. were core beliefs of his, you know? Yeah. That he offered up because he wrote the essay and. Yeah. They use that against him. Yeah. Exactly. They were able to obtain original recordings from the 1960 sessions where Dr. Murray berated Ted and demeaned him and his ideas after months of building up his confidence and befriending him. That's disgusting. It is. It's disgusting. Professionals said that if those experiments had taken place in present time, they would be considered entirely inappropriate and unethical. 
At the time, Murray was working with the Office of Strategic Services and was suspected to have ties with the CIA in developing interrogation techniques. Former CIA members said that the interrogation techniques were directly derived from the experiments that Murray was conducting in the late 50s and early 60s. Ted said they had no damaging effect on him, of course. Admittedly, though, he said that when he left Harvard, that's when he truly decided that he was against technology. Dave said this is when he felt his brother drastically changed. Once very close, Ted became demeaning and dismissive of Ted's or of Dave's ideas. And of course, to the point where like he is being an asshole about the woman who becomes his wife, like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't do that. In a journal of Ted's found by investigators, they found many disturbing entries. He wrote about his awkwardness and how he had a difficult time fitting in and finding friends. He also was clearly very uncomfortable around females. He wrote about a time where he spoke with a girl in the school library that he wanted to spend more time talking to her. He believed her to be available and wanted to ask her out. At the last minute, though, he was not able to. Instead, he journaled derogatory remarks about her and about women in general. He wrote about having dreams about being a woman and experiencing things as a woman. He even wrote that he was planning on transitioning. He made an appointment with a school psychologist to talk to her about this, but ultimately decided not to tell her. After the appointment, he started having dreams about killing people, particularly about killing his psychologist. Yes. The fuck did she do? He didn't even talk to her about it. Like, Golly. Jeez. Well, she's a woman. But well, that's true. He seemed to have extreme anger towards her. He described leaving the appointment as a turning point. He wrote that he knew he would kill someone, but would attempt to go about it undetected so he could continue to do it. Israel keeps. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I mean, you know, if your goal is to be a serial killer, you probably do want to go undetected, don't you, Ted? Well, yeah. I mean, people frown upon it. I don't know why. Like, I don't know anybody who would be, like, writing in their journals every day, and they're like, I want to kill somebody. Just one person. I want to get caught immediately. I want to go to jail as soon as it happens. But I want to kill some. Like, right. of course you do, Ted. Like, shut up. I don't know. But, I mean, this shows that he was calculating. This was premeditated. Mm-hmm. He knew that he was eventually going to kill somebody, and he made lots and lots of plans in, you know, how he was going to carry this out so that he did go undetected, so that he— I mean, he— This was many years that he was bombing people. Mm -hmm. It's just crazy. A more recent journal was found that was written in numerical code. Specialists in the FBI were able to decipher the code. The journal documented each of his bombings and his thoughts on each one. After one of the first bombings, he wrote, I had hoped that the victim would have been blinded or have his hands blown off or otherwise be maimed. Well, live and learn. I wish I knew how to get a hold of some dynamite. Jeez, come on. This is a person. This is a human being. It's terrible that he he wanted to kill anyone. It's also terrible that he wanted to maim someone, leave them without hands, without their sight, without their hearing, without fingers, without, yeah. Yeah. I had hoped that, I mean, just come on. After the failed bombing of Flight 444, he wrote, unfortunately, plane not destroyed, bomb too weak. Bad man. He like basically like bummer. Yeah. He discussed how his bombs needed to be stronger and diffuse properly. After his bomb killed his first victim, he wrote, excellent, humane way to eliminate somebody. He probably never felt a thing. What? I don't know that that's true. I don't either. If you're like being, I mean, I hope that's the case, that it just happened so fast, but he's filling this with all kind of like shrapnel and like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I just, it's awful. Yeah. The FBI also found a note that was titled, quote, how to hit an Exxon exec with a detailed plan on how he could reach them with a bomb. Great. Mm -hmm. After a 20-hour exam by a psychiatrist, Ted was found to be competent to stand trial, to represent himself, and to receive the death penalty. Just before the trial began, Ted was informed that his defense team had mounted his entire defense on him being mentally ill, and they were going to go for the insanity plea, and Ted was not happy. (laughs) They had his cabin transported from Montana to California to portray how mentally ill he was, that a normal human could not live the way that he did. 
But Ted was insistent that he was not mentally ill and he refused to be portrayed that way. He didn't want anybody to discredit his ideas. Mm -mm. Like he didn't want that to be seen as like, you know, ramblings of a madman, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. He wanted that to be like legit and for people to agree with him and carry it on. Like if the whole thing is written off as, you know, legally insane, then... None of what he did proves his point. Well, yeah, exactly. And I think that he wants everyone to know that his way of thinking is the right way of thinking and everybody else is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And he was more worried about that than he was about getting the death penalty. That was his primary concern, that his work was not discredited. Right. On January 22nd, 1998, Ted stopped the trial before any evidence or arguments were presented. He told the judge that he didn't know his attorneys were going to use the insanity plea and that he wanted to fire them. And the judge said it would take too long to find new attorneys for him and for them to prepare. And Ted was like, well, I'll just represent myself. And the judge was like, no, the fuck you won't. So that night, Ted attempted to hang himself. He thought that everything he'd worked for would now be attributed to mental illness. And he basically had two choices, be made out to be a, quote, madman or accept a plea bargain. Ted pled guilty to murder in exchange for life in prison without the possibility of parole. He's currently imprisoned at the only supermax prison facility in the United States, which is located in Florence, Colorado. ADX Florence is also known as the Alcatraz of the Rockies. Ted spends 22 hours of his day in a 12 by 7 cell. That's perfect for him. It's perfect for him, but also like... Not good, but you know, like that's what he wants, but yeah, but it's not good for him. Yeah, exactly. Unlike his cabin in Montana, he now has running water and electricity along with a small television, toilet, and shower. That's actually the worst thing he could be put in the room with. I know. He's able to order from an extensive library and has options for his three daily meals. He receives freshly laundered linens and uniforms three times a week. That's a big change for him, I'm sure. Yes. A former warden of the facility has said that Ted was a model inmate. He seems to consider himself a revolutionist. In one of the only interviews that Ted has ever granted, he said, the main thing is to get rid of the industrial system by whatever means may be necessary. Hmm. Does he watch his TV, though? I know, right? I would think so. He has nothing else to do. He sure doesn't have a typewriter in there, so. That's true. The only acceptable machine. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This is a hefty one, right? I don't know, man. Yeah, it is. It is really hefty. It's it's a lot. I mean, he did some fucked up stuff. Mm -hmm. He had a fucked up life, though, too. Yeah. And again, that doesn't justify it. No. But it definitely explains it. Yeah, it does shed some light on it. And just like, okay, when these things happen... I mean, it's just detrimental psychologically. It just is. You can't take a nine-month-old baby away from their family for that long. Yeah, exactly. It's actions and consequences. Like, yeah, yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing, you know, like we study this stuff to find patterns and, you know, in hopes that we can either bring awareness to issues so that they don't happen to other people or, you know, identify triggers and... Try to catch stuff before it's too late. Mm -hmm. And with somebody like Ted being so isolated, there's no way you could have seen it coming, you know? Like, no. He wasn't talking to his family anymore by that point. He wasn't talking to anybody. So it's like, who could have tipped him off? Exactly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. What do you guys think about it? Yeah, let us know. Yeah. But you know what? We're going to leave you. Thanks so much for hanging out with us and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Oh my gosh, you guys. Our first shout outs of 2022. What? What? That is so crazy. <laughs> I don't, I never realized until you said how much I just copy you that I just do anything. Yep. You always do that. I was just like, ah, what? What? <laughs> Well, we've got some very special and important and exciting Hey Girl thanks for Carolyn Forster, Denise McPhail, Megan Barnhart, Lacey Martin, Stephanie Bagnell, Shelby Allen, Maricela Plant, Lindsay Pierce, Kim Major, Jasmine Christie, Terry Cooper, Amanda Smith, 
Jessica Middleton, David Muir, Nicole, McKenna Shiver, Christina Odea, Maddie Ingle, Alex Jade Alsop, Lacey Perkins, Sarah McCracken, Jackie Markowitz, Gudrun Runnels, Katie Power, Jill, Kylie Ahmed, Caitlin Kirk, Raven Morgan, Tamia Myers, Jasmine Andes, Kayla Denise, Stephanie, Donnet Perry, Gemma Clark, Karen Sylvester, Lydia Birchfield, Lissy Cluse, Shannon Dunnigan Koenig, Lauren, Jesse Brienne, Emma Arnold, and that's it. Thank you guys so much. And please do remember, we're not very smart. So if we didn't say your name right, um, we are so sorry. Yes, but thank you so much. We love you guys so much. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.